The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, church. Here at Doxa, we use the English Standard Version of the Bible, which you can find around your chairs. And today's scripture reading is coming from Romans Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And you can follow along with me on page 941 in the Bibles or on the screen behind me. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This has been the reading of God's word. Well, if you've been uh, a part of our Roman series so far, uh, you know that, man, it's been a lot of bad news so far. Uh, we're two and a half chapters into the book of Romans, and it's been a lot of just like really rough news. Uh, I was talking to uh, my mom, who's the children's director this morning, and she's like, man, it's just like, it's just like, it's just like Paul's just figuring out all, how many ways can I tell us, how many ways can he tell us that, hey, you guys are terrible, you guys don't have it together, you guys are broken, you guys are messed up, you are sinful. I mean, what he's saying is that we are as human beings, we are under the wrath of God. And he's, and he's laying out, and up until this point, he's been laying out, hey, that includes everybody. That includes the heathen, pagan. That includes the person who thinks they're religious and trying to follow God's law. That everybody, everybody is broken and marred. And everybody is standing under the wrath of God. But now he starts to make a turn here. And what Paul is doing, the reason he spent so much time laying that groundwork and now he's making the turn is that Paul is explaining to us exactly why the gospel changes everything. That's the title of this series, the gospel changes everything or how the gospel changes everything. And he's saying this is why the gospel changes everything because in order to really understand that, the, the, what he, the gospel, which is the good news of salvation through Jesus, by the way, this is the definition of the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus. So to really understand why and how the gospel changes everything, then we have to understand two key words that Paul's been talking about and are featured here in our passage this week. And that's these two words, righteousness and sin. Righteousness and sin. You have to understand uh, what righteousness is, what sin is, and the problem that they create for you to really understand how the gospel actually does change everything. It changes everything in the soul of a person who receives it. It changes everything in the, the, in the society of people who begin to believe it. It changes everything about all of our lives. It's not just like a, a 
like the religious part of our life. But when we understand the gospel, it changes our sexuality. It changes the way we approach money. It changes the way we approach our relationships. It changes the way we approach our career. It changes everything about us. And here's why. Because you have to understand righteousness and sin and the, the relationship these two have and the problem they create. Righteousness and sin when they are together. So let's go back a little bit to the very beginning when we see God, who by nature and definition, by the way, God is holy and righteous. And those are Christian words, those are religious words, and maybe you don't understand exactly what they mean, and that's okay. So what holy means, when we say God is holy, it means that he is other than us. It means that we can't think of God like he's a, a better human or a better being, but he is absolutely and completely other than us. He is greater, he is perfect, he is holy, he is pure. He is other than us as beings. And then he is also righteous. And what that means is that God is good and he is pure in all that he does. That is who God is by his very definition, right? God can't have any, any bad, any wrongness in him. He is the definition. He's not just the definition of all that is good and right and just. He sets the bar for what is good and right and just. We don't judge God and say, all right, we've determined that God is good and righteous and just because he does good and righteous and just things. We've we find out what goodness and righteousness and, just and justice is because of God's nature and his character. That's who God is by nature. And so when that God who is perfect and holy and righteous when he spins out from nothing creation and he creates all that we know, all that we can understand, all that we can see, the, all that space and time even and this planet and all the planets, all the celestial bodies, everything, all, the, all physics, every, every molecule that exists, that has ever has existed, has come into being from him by his power. He creates all that. And it says, when it goes to the creation account in Genesis 1, it says that he creates all these things and they are all good. Everything he creates, the, the earth, the land, the sea, the animals, human beings, he says they are all good. And what that means is they are all right. They are all made by a righteous God and they are all made righteous. And so when we think about creation, what righteousness means is that creation operates in the way that God intended for creation to create. So a good, righteous God creates a good, righteous creation. And then Adam and Eve, who are the apex of his creation, humanity, representing all of humanity that's going to follow from them, they are good and they are righteous in the garden. They're in great unity with each other. Can you imagine? I mean, my wife and I, we love each other. And we have times where it is just wedded bliss. Any of you couples ever experienced that? Like those, those seasons, it's just wedded bliss. And you look, at, you look at her and you think, how could we ever fight? You are so beautiful. And I love all these things about you. And it's just like there's like little bluebirds floating around your head. And you look at each other and there's like hearts popping up, you know. And it's like, oh, man, it's just, it's just wedded bliss, right? And then there are other times, though, right, where it's not exactly like that. But can you imagine being in that wedded bliss all the time, everything being right? Like, like. He wouldn't be, like, leaving his clothes on the floor in the bathroom. Like, I'm sure Adam, like, folded up his clothes and put them where they're where they supposed to go. Adam probably offered to help with the dishes. 
They probably cooked together or, hey, did a DIY home project together <laughs> without arguing. It, is, it was righteous. And it was right. But then, most of you guys know the story, but not everybody. Then something happened. God, like any good father, uh, sets parameters for his children. And he says, go. Be fruitful and multiply. A great command. Go and subdue the earth. So he gives us jobs. Man, it is awesome. But he says, but this one, one thing. This just one thing. There's a tree. Don't eat any fruit that comes from that tree. Because if you do, the day that you eat of it, what will happen is you will surely die. We don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in this wedded bliss between each other being fruitful and multiplying, subduing the earth. They have jobs. They have power. It is awesome. They're walking with God. It says they would walk with God in the cool of the day. They experienced absolute and utter harmony and unity with each other and with God. Until the day came where Adam and Eve both took of the tree and ate of it and they sinned. Now, here's the interesting thing. God said... On the day that you eat of that fruit, what did he say would happen? He said, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, they did not physically die at that point. And we know they lived for like hundreds of years still in the future. But, but, but here's what happened. If you know the story, if you don't know the story, as soon as they sinned, they suddenly became aware that they were naked. And they went and they hid from God. Here's what the death that happens through sin means. It means that that unity, that righteousness that we once had with God and before God is now broken. We have sinned, and that sin is, uh, the, the wording of that word sin means to miss the mark. And when I used to hear that when I was younger, I'd think, man, why would we get blamed for missing the mark? Because the picture is, a, a picture is an archery term. It's a picture of pulling the bow back with the arrow and letting it go, and you don't hit the bullseye. And I thought, why would God blame us for that? Because, man, I've tried, I've tried target practice, and sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you just miss the mark. And that's not really the picture that we have from what sin is. It's more like this. It's more like uh, if, if you were to take me and you were sitting me at a chair and say, all right, Randy, here's a piece of paper. Pull out a pen and draw a circle. And I take that pen and I sit down and I look at the paper and I look at you and I look at the paper and I say, you said draw a circle, right? And you say, yes, draw a circle. And I look down at the paper and I draw a square. Like I have the ability to draw a circle, but I decided to draw a square instead. You, what that is, that's rebellion. And Adam and Eve, they didn't, everything didn't get messed up because they just happened to mess up. They rebelled against God and, and they missed the mark by drawing the square instead of the circle. They ate of the tree instead of obeying his word. And that messed everything up. All of a sudden, they hide from God and they try and they cover themselves even from each other. You know what happened? Unity between them and God and them and each other was now broken. When righteousness is gone, it, is, it means that we've died to God. It means that we are out of step with who he is. We have rebelled against him and that caused 
everything from Adam and Eve to break down after them. Mankind has great promise and great ability. There, there's a, we see in every single human being the, well, what theologians call the imago Dei. That's a fancy term for saying the image of God. It means that we were all created in the image of God and we still see the thumbprint, if you will, of the artist on every single human being. But yet, it's marred. It's not quite what it should be because all of us have followed in the pattern of Adam and Eve before us and we've inherited sin from them and we've decided everyone on our own to sin and to rebel against God ourselves. And ever since Adam and Eve, you know what every single one of us has tried to do? We've hidden from God and we've hidden from, from each other. We felt this incredible need, this incredible drive to cover ourselves. We felt exposed. We felt like we don't want God to see who I am. I don't want God to see me. I don't, so I'm going to cover myself. I'm going to hide myself from him. And some of us, we hide ourselves. We talked about it last week. Some of us, we hide ourselves from just running. Hey, I'm going to run as far away from God as I possibly can. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to run as far away from him as I possibly can. And some of us, we rebel against God. We hide from God by trying to be good people. If I can be good enough, I can cover myself with good works. I can feel good about myself. And I don't have to think about myself the way God thinks about me. Because here's what Romans says at the very beginning. It says that each of us, we suppress the truth of who God is. We know instinctually, we know inside our souls that there is a God, that he must be holy and he must be good, and we know that we are not. No matter what we say we believe, no matter what we creed we hold, no matter what religion we follow, we, we somehow deep within us, we know that there is a God, that he must be holy and good, and that I am not, and so therefore I spend my life trying to cover Myself. I either cover myself by running and hiding as far away as I can get from him. You're like the, uh, those of us who are like that, we're like the prodigal who, who says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance to let me go out of here. And you go and you go live your own life as far away from the father as you possibly can. Well, some of us are like the older brother who was no closer to the heart of God than the prodigal who ran away. Did you know that? The older brother who stayed home with the father, he was no closer to the heart of the father than the prodigal who ran away and wasted his money on riotous living. He spent it on drugs and horrors and parties and whoever knows what else he spent it on. But the one who stayed home, he thought he was right. He thought he was good because he was doing all the right things, but he hated that his father loved the other son as well. We cover ourselves and we hide ourselves from each other, right? We posture. How many arguments do we get in with our friends and girlfriends and boyfriends and spouses and family members because we are constantly trying to posture ourselves as better than we actually are? Do you know why it's hard for you to admit that you are wrong in an argument? It's not just pride, though it is pride. It's because we don't want to admit that we're as weak and as bad as we actually are. 
Because to accept that would to be exposed to each other and to be exposed to God. We spend our lives covering ourselves and hiding from God. And that's been the way of humanity ever since Adam and Eve. We can't, even though we try to cover ourselves, we can't quite do it though, right? Don't we always feel like there's a little bit exposed? Like, I can't get everything right. I use this example a lot, but I hope you can relate to it. You know that, that, that feeling, maybe you're, I'm the only one. The times that I've done laundry, you go and you either get the, the clothes that you've gotten to the darks and lights and whatever, and you, you pick them up and you, you're gonna gather them and I wanna make it in one trip, one trip. Because, I don't know, the extra 20 steps, steps to come there and back are just too much to think about. So I'm gonna spend all this energy trying to figure out how can I get, you get socks in the middle and you get the bigger pieces on the outside and you get your arms around just right and you get your kind of body and I'm gonna carry this in one trip from here where the hamper is to the, to the washing machine. And yet, have you ever had one of those loads where it's just like you can't ever quite get it? You make a couple of steps and you look back and there's a sock. And you try to you, you get down a bit, get the sock. And what happens when you get the sock? Then three pairs of underwear fall out over here. And every time you try to, you feel like you get something together, something else is falling, piece, falling off somewhere else. And that's what most of our lives are like. We spend most of our lives trying to cover ourselves, hide ourselves from God and cover ourselves from each other. And we can never quite feel like we've done the job because no matter how good you are, or no matter how far away from God you run, we cannot cover ourselves well enough. That's been the message of Romans so far. That's what he says here. He says, but in verse 21 of chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God, hear that word righteousness, being right with God, has been manifested or shown. He's talking about Jesus or the gospel. apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What he's saying there is he's been, he's talked about it ad nauseum, so we're not gonna go into it, but he's, he's saying that no matter how good we are, we can never be good enough. Because no matter how good you are, you have done something wrong. Or you do the right things for the wrong reasons. You don't do it to glorify God and enjoy him. You do it because you're trying to make yourself right. You do it because you're following the pattern of your great, great, great grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve, and you're trying to make your own way apart from him. You're trying to make your own covering because you've decided to rebel against him. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for, here's why, there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short. Hear that word fall short, that's that word missing the mark, and fall short of the glory of God. But hear this, this is when it goes really good news, verse 24, and are justified 
by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of words here. We're going to come back to it. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, what he's saying there, first of all, in verse 24, we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all are naked before him, but we're trying to run from him and hide from him. But hear this, what he says. But through Jesus, we are justified by his grace as a gift. That, that word justified is a, a legal term. It doesn't just mean forgiven. Like, so uh, it, it doesn't mean like, you know, man, let's be honest. As a parent, sometimes when your kid disobeys, it makes more problem for you than it does for them, right? And, and, and it, like you discover something has happened here. And, and this is what's going through my head. I, I look at them and it's running through my head. Man, I would like to pretend I didn't know that you did that. But now that I know that we have to do something about this. And I'm trying to decide, am I willing to follow through on this punishment that I'm getting ready to give you? Or am I going to show you mercy and forgive you of what you've done and lower the punishment? That's forgiveness. It's like, hey, you're guilty, but I'm not gonna give you the punishment that you deserve. That's forgiveness, you're guilty. Justification is something totally different. It's not saying, hey, you did this thing and I'm gonna forgive you of the wrong that you've done. It says, I am going to clear it so that it never happened. So that nobody else can come along and accuse you of what you've done, right? Because like, mom and dad don't always have the same punishment for things, right? And, and if I make a call or mom makes a call, usually we're gonna go with what the, the other parent already said first, but sometimes we have to have a little conference, a little sidebar in the court with each other where we're trying to decide, we have to come to a meeting of the minds, how are we going to do this? Because they're still guilty and mom or I are still saying, we gotta throw the book at this. How, why are you letting them off? And see, if we were just forgiven of our sin, of our rebellion against God, Satan could come to God and say, hey, I know that you love them and you want everything to be okay, but this is not right that you let them off. I rebelled against you and you have poured out wrath upon me. All the demons of hell have rebelled against you and you poured out the wrath against them. You have separated them from yourself. They deserve the same thing. And Satan, who is an excellent attorney, would have every right. I'm not connecting Satan with attorneys, by the way. I'm just saying Satan, who is an excellent attorney. I didn't, don't mix those up. But Satan, who is an excellent attorney, would have every right to demand the book be thrown at us, no matter if God wanted to let us go or not. But God finds a way, and we're going to get to that in a minute, to justify us to clear it all together so that there can be no accusation against us. 
You are justified. This is the grace that is offered us through Christ. You are justified. All the rebellion, the rebellion upon rebellion, upon rebellion, upon rebellion that each of us have racked up. We just finished Christmas and you have the picture where Marley comes to, to Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And he's like, this, this ponderous chain, I, we built, I built it link by link and yard by yard. And your chain is even greater because you've lived longer. We all have those. We all have rebellion upon rebellion upon rebellion that should be stacked up against us. And yet, this is saying that the gospel is that you have been justified or can be justified freely as a gift. All of it wiped clean. No ability for anybody to make an accusation against you. Satan has no fodder. God says it is completely clean. It is as if you have never sinned. As if you have never done anything wrong. Here's what he does. Here's what the picture of this is. This justification comes through a righteousness. Remember that righteousness that was broken in the beginning? It comes from that righteousness being placed over us. We are covered with the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. The perfect life that Christ lived in the death that he died is a and we are covered with Christ's rightness with God. So that covering that we've always been seeking to cover ourselves with, and we could never get enough fabric together to cover ourselves, all of a sudden, the perfect covering, the rightness of Christ is placed over a believer. And so when God looks down and when Satan looks over, he sees the rightness of Christ applied to us and covering us finally. That's, that's why we say whenever you become a believer, it allows us, it opens the door for us to have true community with each other. Because until the gospel comes and tells me that even though I'm far worse off than I ever thought I was, I'm also far more loved in Christ than I ever dared to dream, then I don't have to posture and pretend about who I am anymore with God or with you guys. I can be real about my weaknesses and my failures. I can be real about my loneliness and my sadness. I can be real about my depression and my sin because it's not my doing that makes me right. I can't cover myself. My only covering comes from the work of God on my behalf that covers me. And think about the freedom that happens in that kind of community when we're like that. When we are aware that I don't have to cover myself, I can be real about who I am because it's Christ's work that covers me, that justifies me before God and covers me with his rightness, then, man, we can be real with each other and we can experience true and deep community. And then that is compelling to people who come in who are believers and who aren't believers because you can't find that, not to that extent, anywhere else. It's what makes the Christian community unique. It says that he justifies us. He places his rightness over us freely. Hear that? His, by his grace as a gift. That is the love of Christ to you. Though you were a rebel. Maybe you are here today and you are at this moment. You are a rebel 
against God, yet he offers freely as a gift by his grace through his love a rightness that you cannot make for yourself. Through the redemption, hear that word redemption. That word would have, would have sent people's minds back to the Old Testament when a slave, it was a different kind of slavery than, the, than American slavery. But when, the, when, a, when a slave was redeemed or bought out of slavery, and you went from being a slave to being free. Someone who had means and a power that you did not have then redeemed you from slavery to freedom. And he says, that's what we have through Christ. We are justified. It is, our record is clear. God's Christ's rightness is placed over us as a covering, offered to us freely as a gift, and we are redeemed, we are bought from out from under sin, from slavery to sin, from slavery to Satan, from slavery to ourselves, from being left to ourselves as our own kings, and we are redeemed by Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, hear this, as a propitiation by his blood. The picture here is that because of our rebellion upon rebellion upon rebellion, we were under what's called the wrath of God. God is not, uh, he, he's not he doesn't have fits of anger and love. Like he is, he is perfectly perfect all the time. And his wrath, though, rests upon those who are rebels against him. And Christ's work on the cross, his bloody death that was shed, that was committed for us, his blood that was shed for us, it says it propitiates or it satisfies the wrath of God. You know what the picture there is? It's a picture like Jesus Christ, for those of us who are believers, he stands over us again as that covering and the wrath of God was poured out upon him on the cross once for all and we didn't receive it. But for those who do not come to him, they are still outside of that covering and that wrath is hanging over them. But for those of us who are in, it is the, his, his wrath has been propitiated or satisfied by his blood to be received how? What, how, do you, how do you get this? How do you experience it? How do you experience this just to be justified and to be, to be covered, to be made right? How do you experience it? By faith. You know what faith is? Faith is not it's not something that we do, it's something that we rest in. It means that, here's, what, here's the picture here. For the 12 of you that were here for the call to worship at the beginning, it basically said this, to all who are weary, to all who are broken, to all who are sinful and in need of a savior, come. The doors of this church are open wide. Come. Welcome. And what this is saying, what faith is, it is coming to God and saying, that's who I am. I'm broken. I'm weary. I tried to run. I tried to cover myself. I've tried to be good. 
I've tried to be bad. I thought I would, could direct my own life. I recognize now that I am sinful. I am under your wrath, and that is right. But I come to you with open hands. This is who I am. And I'm falling upon the promise that you've offered that through the death of your son and his resurrection, I can have forgiveness and justification. I can be made right. I can be covered. I can be adopted as one of your own. I fall down and trust in your promise that's offered to me. That's how we enter this new life as believers. There's no entry into salvation. There's no rightness, there's no justification apart from that falling down, saying this is who I am. I'm trusting on a promise that I don't deserve. This was to show, he says in verse 24, he said this was to, sorry, verse 25, the second half, this was to show he did all this to show God's righteousness. So he did this to show that God was right because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That means God didn't burn us all up at the very beginning. It was to show his righteousness or his rightness at the present time so that he might be both just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what that means, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. It means that we as human beings, as Western Americans, Westerners as Americans, we tend to think, as we, we go back to something we already said, like we tend to think, man, why couldn't God just forgive? Why couldn't God just say, hey, just forget about it? He's God, right? Your slate's wiped clean. Let's go forward. Pretend it didn't happen. Pretend it didn't happen. Let's go. Well, he couldn't just say that because God is just and right. And he couldn't allow anything of his creation to exist that was not just and right. And so when it, for all the years that passed and the generations that passed, and he let us as human beings continue to live and to breathe and to enjoy life, he was forbearing, looking towards the work of Jesus so that, so that through the work of Jesus he could be both just, so administer justice, but also be the justifier of those who believe. You know what that means? That means in the cross of Christ, in the life, in the death, and the burial of Jesus, justice and love and mercy meet in one. We see the justice of God that we deserved poured out upon Christ on that bloody cross. But you know what else we see? we see the love of God pouring out to us on the other side of the cross. Mercy and grace undeserved. So what do we do with that? What's the take home for that? Well, I think one, it should stir us to love and affection. It should stir us to worship our amazing Savior in our amazing God. But here's, how you, here's what, how you should respond is, first of all, accept the free gift. 
If you're here this morning and you've been trying to run from God or hide from God to cover yourself, accept this morning the free gift that is offered to you in Christ. But also, if you're here this morning and you are a professing believer, you've been walking with God, maybe it's a a few weeks, maybe it's a few years, maybe it's a few decades, here's the message to us, all of us in this room this morning, accept the free gift. Don't fall back as a Christian and try to cover yourself. Don't try to run from him, but also don't try to cover yourself with your own good works. Hey, a life of a believer should be full of good works, but not as a way of covering ourselves and building ourselves up, but as a response to the goodness of God through Christ. Stop justifying yourself. Stop covering yourself. Secondly, what should we do? We should marvel at our Savior. How amazing is our Savior and our God that he would do what he did not have to do and offering his Son, and and his Son himself giving himself freely to us. And then thirdly, what do we do? Share the gift. Hey, you, if you're a believer, you are in possession of something that you did not earn. You're in possession of something that was offered freely to you. You're in possession of something that is unimaginably great whenever you deserve something that is unimaginably terrible. All of our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers are in the same place. No matter how much it may look like they have their life together, no matter how much it may look like they are happy and content just the way things are, if they are outside of Christ, they are under the wrath of God and they are tr- desperately trying to cover themselves and hide from God and each other. And we are in possession of the message, the news of a free gift is offered to them in Christ Jesus. Let's share that gift. 